Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. So obviously I haven't been going to any events lately. But this week, I did see my first live concert since the COVID pandemic began. This is my friend's band, Miss Leo and her Bluegrass Boys, and they're streaming live from a porch to a virtual audience. And this got me thinking of what Governor Gavin Newsom said on Tuesday, that mass gatherings probably won't be a reality for us until there's a vaccine for COVID-19. So what does that mean for artists who rely on live events to make a living? It's so sad to think about, but I think that it will really shrink and depress the cultural landscape. The local art scene in the Bay Area was already struggling to survive. And even though lots of artists are being resilient and creative with their work, it's nothing like having a real live in-person event. Today, how COVID could change the Bay Area's art scene forever. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to the Bay. The arts completely subsist on large gatherings, especially the music industry, theater, crafters, makers, visual artists also gather in large public spaces. It's very common. Nastia Voinovskaya is an editor for KQED Arts. Some of these uh, artistic disciplines aren't really translatable to online, so I think we've been seeing that the devastating effects of that in the weeks since Shelter in Place started. You mentioned some of the big things that, that I immediately thought about. What are some other things that we're, we're missing out on because of these social distancing measures? I think any kind of dance, theater, any performing arts, but especially those that don't really translate well to a recorded medium, um, it's a lot harder to translate a play to an, any kind of online medium. And then the same with any kind of really non-commercial art, um, experimental music, performance mm-hmm. art, stuff that you would see maybe in a gallery or a nonprofit space. Those kinds of artists are having a really hard time translating their work to online. And in the early days of the pandemic, and as we were just learning about what this could potentially mean in terms of, you know, sheltering in place, do you remember what artists were saying at the time? Yeah, I think that artists immediately were very worried about their loss of income. So I talked to event photographer Christina Bukrovsky, who shoots a lot of concerts and live events. I have like a small savings that I've started to accumulate last year that I'm kind of just like living on and I'm like canceling a bunch of bills and just kind of like seeing where things are going to go. And she said that 
because of shelter in place, she's lost pretty much all her income overnight. I don't really know when it's going to go back to normal. If I'm going to like be hired to shoot photos or videos, like the same rate that I was um, before all of this went down. They often live paycheck to paycheck, gig to gig. They might work various side jobs, um, but they really sacrifice a sense of economic stability. So for someone to even have a month worth of gigs canceled is a huge deal. And now that we don't know when this will end, you know, potentially months and months stretching on, yeah, is pretty devastating to a lot of artists. And and this is affecting not just the artists themselves, but this whole art and culture industry, the venue owners, the audio engineers, people doing the lights, making the merch, all kinds of people. Yeah, completely. There's a whole ecosystem really surrounding every art form. But just to give the music industry as an example, there are the artists, the bookers, the managers, the agents, um, venue owners, uh, people who design the merch, people who print the merch, just all kinds of people whose livelihood is being impacted, That whose livelihood virtually disappeared overnight. So who are the artists who can still survive under the current circumstances? I would say people who have profitable online businesses that maybe had them already, um, people who provide some kind of online services. Uh, maybe this is a little bit... Um, outside the realm of what most people would consider like traditional art, but people like, I think I'm thinking of astrologers or like tarot card readers that provide readings online and already kind of have a robust following Um, Mm -hmm. artists that are popular enough where enough people buy their merch, um, you know, to, to actually give them a sizable income stream, those kinds of people. But it's really either people who are very, very online already or kind of people already at the top that already kind of have wealth and a following. So yesterday I was watching my friend play a set on Facebook Live, and I know that other musicians are streaming too. Um, what kinds of artists or events have you seen online? I've been to some online dance parties. Uh, I've been to a Zoom party that's kind of like a variety show. It's called Inside Lands. Thank y'all for being here. Thank y'all for supporting us. Um, everyone here are is like independent creatives doing their thing. They have DJ sets. They have live performers. They, they have uh, cooking demos and cocktail demos. I have some leftover grapefruit juice from a grapefruit I ate this morning. So I've got a quarter ounce. So that's going there. Got a little leftover lime, so I'm putting that in here. Well, that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's pretty interactive. So a lot of people are getting really creative with how they use Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we've seen a lot of bigger name artists um, play concerts on Instagram Live. Um, producers doing uh, DJ battles and things like that. So people are getting creative, but I think. Uh, it's good for the time being, but I don't see how it yeah. can replace real concerts or events for a long time. Well, and, and because like so much of the live event is the feeling of being in a place with other people and experiencing you know, the music in a crowd, how do these events online feel? Does it feel awkward at all or like something's missing? Yeah, it's a little awkward. Like the first time I went to a Zoom party, <laughs> it's like, you know, everyone is dancing yeah, in their yeah. own room by themselves. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, that's great. Can you see everybody too? Like, can you see all the squares of yeah, people? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. 
Yes. And, and sometimes <laughs> what the DJs will do is they'll um, spotlight the random people's videos. So it's kind of like the kiss cam uh, where you're like, oh, I'm on. I have to do a <laughs> dance move. But honestly, it's like we're so starved for community right now yeah, that it's totally. better than nothing. Are people asking for money from these events? Twitch has a lot of nice, uh, like, technical capabilities. So people, there, there's like a little bar at the bottom where it has all the performers' Venmos and stuff. And I've been actually watching a lot of drag shows on Twitch. So um, people just have generally been asking for tips or like a suggested donation. So I'm not sure exactly how much artists are making from it, but just from what I've heard from people, it's not really enough to amount to um, a ticketed show. Do you know how artists are processing this moment emotionally and, and even artistically? Because a lot of their art comes from you know, their emotions and, and what they're living right now. Yeah, um, I've spoken to a lot of artists that are feeling very creatively stuck. I think there is a lot of messaging online right now, like, oh, use this time to perfect your craft or get good at a new skill. But just because of the stress of everything going on, like the emotions of knowing that there are people out there suffering or maybe people who are impacted directly by the pandemic, um, I think it's making a lot of people um, kind of not at their creative best. Other artists are actually turning to their art to process their emotions. I feel like we're all feeling so much. We're all feeling, you know, you know, anxieties. We're all feeling fears. I just did a story about Kev Choice and he made an album called Social Distancing that he started recording like the very day that shelter in place orders came down. You know, we're all looking at this in different ways and I kind of wanted to, you know, use my music to create a, a energy around all of that that's, that's going on. He's a really skilled pianist and musician and he actually had over 25 collaborators on the project that all recorded themselves remotely in their studios. That's just one example of someone being really resilient. There's a, there's a pretty hopeful message in his album, even though it does take stock of everything wrong with the world right now. And I also know Fantastic Negrito put out a song about people sheltering in place too, and did some crowdsourcing for it. Yeah, he made a music video where it was a lot of his friends and people in his community kind of recording themselves singing the song in their homes. Have you lost your mind yet to get free Which kind of shows we're all dealing with the same thing right now. I know a lot of artists were already struggling to work before the pandemic. I mean, you've written tons of stories about the arts industry in the Bay Area. Um, do you know what the government's done since the outbreak began that's maybe been helpful to artists? Yeah, so in California, EDD expanded the unemployment protections to include self-employed people and independent contractors. But the problem is you have to have a lot of documentation um, to even qualify for it. And a lot of artists kind of accept informal cash payments and things like that. So I know that not all of them have been successful in applying. 
And then in San Francisco, the city launched an arts relief fund that's giving out grants to individual artists and small nonprofits. But of course, you have to be a San Francisco resident. And because the cost of living in San Francisco is so high, a lot of artists have left already and moved to other parts of the Bay Area. But then there are a lot of grassroots groups setting up GoFundMes and things like that. Like there's a Bay Area queer nightlife GoFundMe. Um, But I think the demand is so great. So many people are struggling right now. Um, So many people have been laid off. So um, I think kind of short of a universal basic income, all of these uh, small funds aren't going to meet the demand. What did artists say they need right now? Is there anything in particular? Yeah, I think... You know, this has been a fight for a long time, but just access to healthcare, access to social safety nets. I think right now a lot of people are advocating for rent forgiveness. There, there's an eviction moratorium right now, but I think a lot of people are scared of what landlords could do once this is over, you know, or if they will even be able to find a high paying job enough to pay back their back rent and things like that. So I think people are really starting to advocate for rent forgiveness at a statewide level and universal basic income. Governor Gavin Newsom said this week that there's not going to be any large gatherings in the state until there's a vaccine, and we know that could be more than a year away. So it looks like For a lot of artists, there just won't be any in-person events happening for a long time. How do you think the coronavirus and everything that's happening right now is going to shape the landscape of art in the Bay Area in the months and years to come? It's so sad to think about, but I think that it will really shrink and depress the cultural landscape. Some people will be resilient and they will find ways to, to express themselves and create these communal experiences online. But that's just not feasible for every person and every type of art form. You know, it takes certain skills. It takes certain equipment. It takes even being in an art form that translates to that. So I just think by the nature of the situation, um, it's going to be very, very challenging. And I think it will be the most challenging for artistic mediums that are the least commercial, like small theater companies were already struggling a lot before this. Um, I think that's going to be one of the hardest art forms to translate. Um, galleries, things like sculpture and installation art, there's no way that you can translate really to Instagram. It's about the experience of being there. And I also think it'll change the nature of music because um, if people can't get together, a band can't record together in a studio. So people will be working very individually, like editing together tracks on their computers. So I think music will become even more computerized, which it was it's already been trending towards for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's honestly going to change things in a huge, huge way. Nastia says what the arts world is really going to need is money. And it probably won't be saved by just foundation dollars or philanthropy grants. More government support would help a lot of artists. But she says that we, the audience, have a big role to play here as well. I think we do also need a culture shift where audiences realize the um, the importance of supporting artists. I think especially with the internet, we're used to getting a lot of entertaining content for free, but we need to realize that there are people making that stuff and they need to earn a living. Nastia Voinovskaya is an editor for KQED Arts. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montecilio. 
We also got help this week from Marisol Medina-Cadena and Kiana Mogadam. KQED's podcast leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Erica Aguilar, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for the Bay. Talk to you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.